All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back, or welcome to The Mental Game. On this week's episode, I want to answer the question, why did I create this podcast? And in order to answer that, I wanted to share with you guys how I got to this place. But before I do that, I would love to just say thank you. Um, I appreciate everyone so much who's listened. I appreciate you for listening now. Um, And I especially appreciate everyone who's reached out and told me what they thought, um, maybe what they've learned from it. Um, So I thank you all so much. It's it's very cool to to be able to do this and then to to see it and hear it from you guys. Um, So I thank everyone so much who's listened and tuned in and who who continues to follow along this journey. So I appreciate you and thank you so very much. And like I said, so on this episode, uh, I want to to kind of let you in on on why I made this podcast. Um, and so I want to start with um, kind of my own journey and and get you get you in a little bit on on uh, how I got here. So I grew up in a very small town, um, a very small town north in northern Indiana, and many of my interests growing up were not. Um, accepted by my community. So I began dancing around the age of, I want to say it was 10 or 11. And very early on, uh, besides dancing, I had played uh, very mainstream sports. Um, so I played football, basketball, baseball, um, and then and then I danced. Uh, but I had done the other ones my entire life. Um, the, the story of how I got into dance is actually pretty funny um, because my sister was a dancer. So my sister, Madeline, um, if you don't know her, she's cool. Um, if you're listening, hello. Um, but anyway, so she was a dancer, and I was going to all of her performances, and you know, we were picking her up from rehearsal and class and whatnot. And one day, my mom just said, "You know, if you're going to be here all the time, you might as well join." And at the time, I don't think I thought much of it, but for whatever reason, I said, "Sure, why not?" And so I started dancing when I when I was 10 or 11 years old. And the funny part is, every single year, um, I during the middle of the year, I wanted to quit. Or every summer, I said, okay, this is, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this. Um, and funny enough, the next year rolled around, and I wanted to sign back up. Because every time we had signed up, it was like a year-long contract. You had to sign on for the entire year. So if I had ever wanted to quit during the year, my mom would say, okay, well, you signed this contract. Now you're in these dances. You know, they're counting on you. So you have to do the entire year. Okay, fine. I'll do the whole year. But then next year, no way. This is it. I'm done. Okay, cool. So every year rolled around and for some reason, I decided, hey, okay, I think I want to do it again. And it wasn't until I would say I was 13 or 14, so maybe three years in, I did a duet with my sister. Um, And it was kind of like a last hurrah because I said, okay, no, this is really going to be my last year dancing. So my mom said, okay, fine. If you're going to stop, at least do a duet with your sister because we had danced together, but we had never just danced with each other. So my mom said, okay, if you're going to be done, then, then dance together for me. I said, okay, cool. And I do want to mention 
to bring the mental health piece into this that along this early journey, I had a few really fantastic people in my corner, Amy Western and Todd Baker, who understood the fact that I was a football player. I made that very clear to them. I was a football player first, a dancer second. And they were so okay with that. And they were so okay with me being being who I wanted to be that I was wearing, I remember wearing football jersey and cargo shorts to dance every single day because that's what I did. I wore a football jersey. I was a football player first. That's what I did. So they were cool with that. And and they were so accepting of of myself and of me having my own experience and, and not making it what, what it was for others. And so I do want to mention them because they were so pivotal to me being so okay with being in that environment. Because coming from a small town, coming from a small school, and then coming back to that, right, being in the dance world, being in a small town, you can kind of guess where that went. It wasn't great. It wasn't fantastic for my mental health, but it felt like a safe space because they were so accepting of me. So anyway, as I was saying, my mom had said, if this is going to be your last year dancing, dance with your sister. I said, cool, why not? And then a funny thing happened. I enjoyed it even more. And I was like, wait, that was so much fun. Let's do it again. So we did it one more year. Uh, And it was kind of just a why not. I had never thought of, oh, I'm going to be a dancer. This is going to mean something. This is going to take me somewhere. No, it was kind of more so just, this is fun. Let's do it. And that second year of doing a duet with my sister, I had went to my teacher and I said, wait, I kind of want to be a dancer. And every single time I had done a solo, I'd always gotten the same kind of note from people. It was, you need to do more ballet. Not bad. Not great. You need to do more ballet. I was like, okay, that's interesting. People keep saying that over and over and over again. And so when I went to my teacher and I said, what do I need to do to be a dancer? She said the same thing. She said, you need to do more ballet. So I said, ooh, I don't know, tights? I'm not sure how I feel about that. I had never, ever, ever worn tights to that point. To that point, I was still wearing cargo shorts and a football jersey every single day. But I was like, okay, let me look around. So I looked at a couple different ballet studios and I ended up going to Indiana Ballet Conservatory. And there I found the other sort of male influence that really, really allowed me to continue on at such a high acceptance level, but then also allowed me to make it my own with what the experience was. And along with that, I, I met two of my best friends. I met Well, I met many of my best friends, actually, now that I think about it. I met many of my best friends. And so it was a combination of I'm doing this new thing that's really scary, that's out of my comfort zone, and it it requires some things that I'm probably going to get made fun of for back home. And okay, that's scary. But at the time, I had actually went to a different high school. And so going to a different high school was kind of me saying, okay, I need to put myself in a different environment where me doing these sorts of things is going to be acceptable, is going to be okay. And so I felt like I had the support from both the dance studio, the ballet studio that I went to, and people at my high school to say, you know what, I'm going to take this leap and I'm going to do it. And so I remember the very first experience I had at my high school, one of the, so it was a it was a football practice, and the freshmen were, were practicing with the seniors. And one of the seniors, uh, actually he was a junior, he came up to me and he said, 
hey, wait, you're the dancer, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, not really sure what he was going to say. Because at that point, I hadn't had a lot of amazing experiences with guys coming up and asking me about dance. But he came up to me and said, hey, you're the dancer, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, my gosh, you get to hang out with girls that are barely wearing any clothes all day? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, dude, no way, you're so cool. And that was such a pivotal moment for me because I was like, oh, this isn't weird. And, you know, even if he didn't see it that way necessarily, it was just a moment of like, okay, I can do something that I want to do, something that gives me a lot of joy and be accepted for it. And that was such a really, that was, that was such an impactful experience that I'll never forget. So I started my journey at my new ballet studio. And I think what stood out to me about that experience the most was that I had, I personally, so I can't speak to everyone's experience. um, And that kind of goes for everything I say. um, But I had such a lovely, positive, supportive group of people that I felt like allowed me to flourish in that environment. And through that, I felt like I was able to not only continue to become myself, but develop as a dancer as well. And so that was really important to me because I started, I didn't start ballet until until really my junior year of high school. And even then I was still playing football at the same time. So I wasn't really doing one or the other full time, but it was so important to me. And I, and I, I don't know that I realized this at the time, but to have that group of people who you really get along with and who support you and who you're kind of working in the trenches with, that was one of the coolest things is I had friends that we were all like, we were this, okay, we really like this ballet thing. Let's take this seriously. And so we were all kind of doing it together. And so that entire high school experience was really fantastic. And by the end of it, it was... Um, it was really only, there was really only one decision for me, and that was where I wanted to go to school and what I wanted to do. And to that point in my life, the only thing that I had ever thought of doing was being a professional football player or being a sports broadcaster. And the professional football thing was out because I stopped growing and I had too many, you know, I got, I got a couple concussions. It was fantastic. Um, but so that was kind of out of the picture. And I was like, wait, this this ballet thing is a really interesting way to be both athletic, but then you kind of you kind of incorporate the artistry, and that was kind of cool. So I was like, mm, this is this is this is maybe the thing I should do. And as it turns out, there's the best ballet school college in the country in my backyard. I'm a little biased, but no, I really do think that. But I'm a little biased. But you know, this just this is my podcast, so I'm gonna say it. I use the best anyway. So I had it in my backyard, and so what. It was, it was kind of a no-brainer. And so I made that transition from high school to college. It was really great because to that point in my life, you can probably guess based on what I'm saying, ballet wasn't necessarily my life. I've never been a quote-unquote bunhead. Um, I've never been one of those people that eats, sleeps, lives, breathes ballet. I've always had so many other interests. And so going to a school where I had both the conservatory, the ballet, right? And then also it was a big 10, I mean, IU is a big big 10 school, so you have the entire school experience also, was something that was so important. And so my entire college experience was really fantastic. Um, I was there for three years at IU, and I would say very similarly to my high school experience, I had a really supportive environment. Um, at least that was my experience. I had a really supportive environment. I felt like I had a really good group of people that you know, we all had one common goal now, and that was to be a professional ballet dancer. And so when you're kind of going through it with other people, when you have other people that are that are doing it with you, you really feel like you kind of, 
um, you know, have their support as well, and, and you're pushing each other every single day, and that was something that was so important to me. And it wasn't until my junior year. So this is so that's that was a lot of talk. But now we're going to get into the the mental health stuff. So it wasn't until my junior year that I then began to to really feel some repercussions of maybe not necessarily being aware of my mental health before. So it was my junior year, and we were performing Giselle. It was the spring show. I had just done ten million auditions. I was worn out. Um, it, it, it was a really draining experience, and we were performing Giselle, and I remember I had, I had felt worry, and I don't know if fear is the right word, but I mean anxiety is the right word. I had felt anxiety on a level, and I didn't know it at the time. I couldn't name it, so I didn't know what it was, but I was having an anxiety at a, at a level that I had never experienced in my entire life, and we were performing Giselle, and I remember being on stage, and I was on a knee, and all I could think about was, oh my gosh, I cannot stop worrying right now. And I don't know why. And it was a very overwhelming experience because like I said, I had never had anything like that before. And I had certainly never had it on stage during a performance. And so not having that experience just made it worse. And, it, and, and you would think, right, if you're in a performance, if you're in the middle of a show, you would be so focused on what you were doing that you would forget, oh, by the way, I'm having anxiety right now. No, 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 no. It was during the show. And I wouldn't necessarily say it took away from the show, but it definitely made it difficult to focus in on what I was there to do. You know, so maybe I still perform the steps, but a lot of the artistry and the extra things that go into performance, I was not thinking about at all. I was thinking about one thing and oh my god and it was oh my gosh why am I why am I having this anxiety right now and so that was really my first ever experience with mental health and I didn't even know it I, because at that point I had always been an extremely positive optimistic person who I don't know if I had really ever been that sad <laughs> you know or worried or stressed I mean there was always stress but for some reason it had never manifested into something like this before. So I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't talk to anyone about it. And I just kind of pushed through. And so that that was 2017. And so that would bring me to my first experience in a professional company. Because after I was a junior, I left to go to uh, my, first, my first company. And I was a second company member. And that experience was really interesting. Because here you are at IU. Here I am at IU. And... I was kind of, you know, one of the lead dancers. And when I went to my first professional company, as as a second company member, I was not. And so I wasn't dancing as much. And it was a lot of sitting in the back, standing around. And not to mention, you're not getting paid very much, if at all. And so between worrying about this random bout of anxiety that I had that I didn't know what it was... And being very, very, I would say, handicapped financially. And then also put on top of it, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And so I don't feel fulfilled. I feel like it's a waste of time. And, oh, by the way, one month into it, I got another concussion. Uh, I'd gotten hit from doing a lift. And so I was injured again. So that experience 
didn't get off to a great start. And it was maybe a month into my recovery from my concussion. It took, I don't know, five, six months for me to feel better from it. It was about a month into my concussion that I was, I think, at my lowest point I've probably ever been in in my life. I was doing uh, pretty much nothing because when you have a concussion, um, unfortunately, I've had multiple, so I know the protocol. You're not supposed to be in, you know, in sunlight. You're not supposed to be on your phone. You're not supposed to be looking at screens. You're really just supposed to be in a dark room all the time. And as someone who is already experiencing difficulties with mental health, that wasn't exactly the the most amazing time. So as you can imagine, it got worse. And it got to the point where I ended up going, I was seeing a neurologist for my concussion, and I was kind of explaining some of the other things that I was going through. So I was explaining my, not lack of want to do, like to live life, but it was like a lack of, it was like um, a lack of want to do anything and, and an inability to, to kind of like stop worrying about all these different things, but then also worrying about worrying. And so after having conversations with her and taking some different psychological tests, she diagnosed me with anxiety, a high level of anxiety. And so that was the very first time where I was able to name my experience, which in in future podcast episodes, I'll talk about that's something that's so extremely important to any experience you're having with mental health is being able to name it. And so that naming of the experience gave me a little bit of light into what in the world is going on in my head, something that I've never experienced before. And so it, it, it didn't allow me to turn the corner, but it allowed there to be just a little bit of light in the valley or, you know, however you want to say it, shed a little bit of light on what was going on. And that really helped propel me into saying, okay, this environment is not for me. Not everybody's experience, right? But it wasn't for me. And I said, I need to get out of this environment. Nothing, there were some really great friendships that came of it. And there's always something, there's always a silver lining. And now I see it. But at the time I was like, okay, I need to leave. I need to go back to IU, finish my degree and figure out, okay, if this ballet thing ain't it, what else do I want to do with my life? And so I was like, okay, my parents were extremely supportive and helpful um, they got me out of there, and I went back to IU, and I finished up my degree because I hadn't actually, I had like two classes, three classes left, so I hadn't actually finished it yet. And it was through going back to IU that I took my first ever sports psychology class. And I had no clue that that was even, that was even a thing. I was like, what, sports psychology, what is this? But it was so fascinating because I was like, wait, okay, okay, okay sports is like my first love of my entire life, right? I had literally been a football player and said, okay, I'm going to be a quarterback since I was like two. But anyway, that didn't work out. That's not the point. The point is, I was like, wait, so I can mirror some of these different interests, mirror, I can put together some of these different interests I have. And that was, that was the first time where I had ever even been introduced to it. And so it was through taking that class that I realized that it even existed, so I took the class and I ended up doing a couple of other things that I think would be f- a fantastic idea for anyone who doesn't exactly know what they want to do or have different interests and stuff. And what I did was I just reached out to a whole bunch of professionals in the field. So I, you had a sports psychologist at the time who was so gracious with her time 
and I kind of told her a little bit about my experiences, but mostly I was just trying to figure out what is a sports psychologist? What do they do? And I did that with a couple different people. So I did that with her, and then she actually is the one who then introduced me to a performance psychologist. She, she introduced me to two people. One was a performance psychologist, and one was a sports psychologist for the Boston Ballet at the time. And I was like, wait a second. So I do love this world of ballet, and I am very interested in this idea of a sports psychologist. That's a thing. There's someone who does that for ballet. And so that was the very, very, very first experience that I had where I was like, wait, maybe that's something I could do. And so when I thought back on it, I was, I was thinking to myself, wait, so all of these different mental health experiences that I had now seen, because I had also seen some things being in my first company that I, I would say am very, I would, now looking back on it, very upset that it was not talked about, that it was not made aware of, that it was not discussed on any level at all. Mental health was not a thing. In fact, mental health was never talked about at any level of dance I had been at to that point. Now, I had never experienced mental health until my junior year. You know, well, I mean, we all have bad days, but I had never really experienced debilitating mental health until my junior year of college. So that's not to say that if I wouldn't have had a problem, someone would have said, hey, yo, by the way, you should probably go get some help. But still, I had seen so many people looking back on it where I was like, oh my gosh, wait, that person was going through something. Whoa, that person was going through something. They really needed some help. And so I was like, wait, I want to be a resource. I want to be someone who goes and helps those people, who, who's there to help those people because I've been in that environment. So, okay, it's interesting. I understand it on a different level. Maybe I can be of service. Maybe I can help in some way. And so that's where that idea really began to kind of take fold because as it you know turned out to be, there was a sports psychology professor at IU. And so I spoke with him and he kind of gave me like the, oh, this is how you do it. And so I was like, great, awesome. And so that's how I got into the mental health counseling program that I'm finishing up right now is I just talked to a bunch of different people. One led to another, led to another, led to this is where I'm at now. And so that was really, really great because I wouldn't have gotten there without each of those experiences. So that's that. That's what took me to the mental health counseling program and then also understanding, okay, what do you need to be a sports psychologist? You need a PhD. Okay, great, awesome. So that'll hopefully take shape one day. But it was through wanting to get a PhD that I started to really ask a lot of questions because one of the parts of getting a PhD is you do research. And so... Knowing that that's the case, I started to think, okay, what questions do I have? What, what would I want to know? And so one of the main questions that I have is, why don't more ballet dancers seek mental health help if there's a lot of problems going on in the ballet world? And so that was one of the major questions I had. And so to answer that, I was like, okay, what are the barriers to mental health help seeking? Because it's clear, the more I talk to people, well, now talk to people more, is that there's a lot going on in the dance world, not just ballet, that is not talked about. I, I have seen so many things that went unnoticed or untreated or it was just not, not a conversation because now that I think back to an experience in my first professional company, I think to, you know, there was an incident where I had told my 
person in charge that I was not good to go because I had had a concussion and they saw that as a hindrance on me and and did not necessarily see anything human about me. And so I, I think of that experience as similar to a mental health problem because when you have a concussion, you can't necessarily see what's going on in your brain. You know, the way if you had sprained your ankle and, you know, it's all black and blue and big and puffy, right? Well, if you have a concussion, you can't really see it. And similarly, if you have a mental health problem, if you have anxiety, you might not be able to see it. If you're depressed, maybe you can tell by someone's face, but you can't really see it because it's in their mind, right? It's in our minds. It's, it's, it's not necessarily noticeable. So I said, okay, how do we go about changing this? How do we go about breaking down the stigma? Maybe it's a stigma. How do we go about breaking down the stigma or breaking down the barriers to mental health help seeking? Why is it that so many people in this industry need help, but not as many get it as need it? And so what I started to do over the past, I'd say six or seven months, well, eh, maybe longer than that, but definitely six or seven months is I started to interview people and ask them, what are the greatest barriers that you see to mental health help seeking? And how can we combat them? And so there's a barrier side, but then there's also the what can we do side. And the majority of the research that I've conducted, people say that the greatest way we can start to break down those barriers is by having conversations, by having the ability to speak on our experiences in a comfortable and accepting way similar to the way that I was able to go to my very first dance class in a football jersey and cargo shorts, and it was cool. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with it, and everyone was going to still love me regardless of how I showed up. So that's exactly what this podcast is all about. This podcast is all about people sharing their experiences with mental health and not necessarily just with mental health, but their experiences in the dance world that were either positive or negative that affected them in some way and having a safe place to do it. Because we don't always get to be in situations where we feel comfortable sharing our experiences and that's what I want this to be. So what I really hope to accomplish, what my main goal is just to create an awareness of mental health, to start having these conversations that are necessary to begin to see real change not just in the space of dance and ballet, but in, in ourselves. I had mental health difficulties that I did not get addressed. And it, it, at, the, you know, at a point, it was on me to say, okay, I need to go see someone. Or for, for my case, with my first experience in a company, I said, okay, I need to change my setting because this ain't, this, this ain't it. This ain't working out for me. And so... That's what I want to do. I want to create a place where people can talk about those experiences that they had. And then hopefully that becomes more of a a normal thing amongst all of us. Because it's better to have an awareness and to say, okay, I I need to leave or I need to get out of here or I need to do something to better myself than to be in in a situation where we're just continually getting worse. So... Nothing I say is the end-all be-all. Nothing I say on this podcast is meant to be seen as therapy. Um, I will hopefully be a therapist in a few months, licensed and whatnot, but I am not yet. And so I want to make sure that everyone understands that anything I say um, is not meant to be taken as medical 
advice necessarily. Um, so uh, what I what I really want is just to to create that awareness and to begin to have conversations so that then not only do we do we see the next step possible, but we begin to break down anything, any adversity, any difficult thing in between that would then make it easier to begin to implement more mental health resources into these spaces. So that's it. So that's today's episode. And if you made it this far, I just want to thank you again so, so very much for not only listening, but for your attention to this subject matter. Because I think it's something that the more we talk about amongst ourselves and amongst each other, um, and you know, with our teachers, with our students, if we're teachers and whatnot, I think that that awareness is gonna what's it's it's is going to be what makes the change. Um, so I appreciate your attention to that subject matter and for being here and for listening. Um, and if you enjoyed the episode, please reach out to me. Um, please tell me what you thought. Uh, subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with someone who you think needs to hear this, um, and just know that I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for listening and come back next week.